This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. They looked at it They've had a look. it wasn't a foul. They said it's not a clear and obvious error. There you go. Well, that is just... That is... Of course, the clear and obvious error. That's, that's the joke. That's where, if you see that position there. I mean, how the hell can the PGMLO there? <laughs> <laughs> I think mean, mean, that's organisation. I think that was electric bands from the, like, the 70s. But listen, how the hell can they say that is not a clear and obvious error? that the official has missed it. That's where VAR falls down. And I say it exposes the referees. It's like this mafia where they can't go against each other. It's your word against mine. No, we've all got to stick together. We've all got to have the same word. They'd get so much more respect if we said, we've made mistakes to humans. But do you know what, as well? Uh, as you know, the other thing we criticise them for is when they go to the monitor sometimes, having a look in slow motion. So why don't you run it in full speed and see, see if it is clear and obvious? But they're not looking at it in full speed. They're looking at them all in slow motion. Is this a clear and obvious... Of course it's a clear and obvious error. He's got two arms around him as he's trying to get rid of him. So are we saying, go back to what David Moyes is saying, are we saying to strikers in that position, you've got to go down now? Yeah. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. Your vaccine to the recent pandemic of Aston Villa podcast. I'm David Michael, your host and editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me for, well, it's a, it's a lick your wombs at the circus that enfolded in front of our eyes. Uh, it's the return of Mr. Dan Rogers. Welcome back. Hello there. Mr. Chris Bird. Hello. And Mr. Phil Shaw. Hello. So, chaps, how 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 are you feeling after? I think that's probably the most frustrating of the uh, the game so far. I mean, we'll go into the game uh, shortly, but uh, what are you drinking at the moment to get you over this? Well, I'll I'll start. I've got a a, a freshly Black Friday delivered um, bottle of Maker's Mark, and I've just foregone the glass and put a finished it <laughs> straight to the bottle. Yeah, just put a straw in it. That's, that's the only thing you need. I need to search that for the for the blood of the match referee and who was in charge of VAR, and I'd, I'd drink from a chalice. Plenty of blood on Trezeguet's head if you're interested in the meantime. <laughs> I'll take it. The prince's blood. <laughs> Egyptian blood, it gives you immortality. Mm. <laughs> Chris, what does one drink to get over this? 
cup of tea, mate. Oh, God, that's not enough. We need to uh, do something about that. But anyway, first of all, we'll go through uh, the latest villain news and the three points. Uh, Mr. Rogers uh, wasn't there when we recorded that, so he will disappear and then reappear for the uh, match breakdown when we get into that. I'm going to iron some Christmas jumpers in the meantime. You you guys crack on, talk amongst yourselves. Exactly. Put uh, put the time to good use. Right, first up, Villa News. Last week uh, there was a Villa fan consultation group meeting. Uh, actually, the, it's like buses, the, the second one uh, within uh, the last month after there wasn't any for uh, most of the year. But uh, the, the premise of this was the return of uh, fans to uh, Villa Park. So the outlines of what was going to happen uh, was laid out. But this is the thing, you don't know if they're just being positive for positive sake, but I mean, a lot of people knew that Birmingham was going to be tier three, did they not? What did you think it was going to be? Yeah, it was It was so predictable when you saw the numbers and how it was looking in other places. Yes, I don't know if they were just, uh, you know, putting on a brave face. A bit of blind faith. They seemed to think that there was a chance of tier two. I mean, it was actually the supporters on the on the Zoom call that said, well, no, it's looking more th- tier three. I put out the notes uh, that outlined what was uh, actually said. I mean, I, I, you know, I did say uh, towards the end of this discussion that, uh, you know, the elephant in the room was obviously this is actually a bit of a waste of time, as Christian Perslow said. SAG, the Safety Advisory Group, actually gave them a certificate, which I think they worked like three months on, and they, and they passed it first time, which uh, apparently uh, doesn't always happen. But they actually got uh, an allocation to host 12,000 at Villa Park and be safe in terms of COVID protocol. So you can see where the frustration lies if suddenly uh, your only real chance is to host 2,000. Villa make a loss on that. And as they kept reminding us in the meeting, I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious to uh, anybody who's seen any behind the behind closed door games, it's not football as, as you're used to. It- yeah, it's just the whole thing's weird. It's almost, I mean, I've said on, on, our, on our Mad View group that it's almost putting 2,000 into the stadium feels like a bigger farce than having an empty stadium. As an event. Yeah, it's quite interesting, uh, like the Football Supporters Association talking about this with other fan groups. And I remember Wolves, uh, their fan parliament, were quite adamant at the start that it was all or nothing, like all fans should go back or nothing. And that was like the stance they wanted to take. And, you know, they spoke to Wolves, the club, about that. And, you know, Wolves were saying, well, you know, it's probably a bit impractical because if they do let fans in initially, you know, it's going to be a drip feed process. So, and we have to also think about, well, you know, there's a revenue stream there as well, you know, once you get to a proper number. So to have the principle of all and nothing, you know, it's not going to be realistic. I think, yeah, you can call it all or nothing. I think if if, if Villa fans were told we'll allow 20,000 in, people would be a bit more like, okay, we can probably... We can use that as a um, a bit like, you know, when you have a new stadium, you have to have test events anyway. So it might be that they'd have to have, you, know, you have to sort of build up your capacity, don't you? I remember Wembley did it and yeah. when, you, when you have a new stand, you have to do that. But Because it, if you got 2,000, nobody wins. I mean, it's just crap. People at the game will think they're having a great experience and they'll be on social media and it's all, you know, self-affirmation, boasting about it. But actually, they won't be having a great experience. Compared to 42,000 at Villa Park, it's nothing. It will be a, it'll be kind of horrible. You you won't be allowed to go to any concourse. You can only go to the concourse to go to the toilet. You What they would be doing is using the lower halts for those 2,000. You would 
enter like you'd get to the car park and then you'd go in like a lane to get to your pod as they're calling them it's basically your bubble and it would be so it will all be control 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 and you know very restricted and the idea is you basically stay in your seat and then that's it and you've got no real atmosphere so I mean, I go to games for the atmosphere and the full house and the shenanigans that goes on, you know, with supporters and the songs, etc. Are for me like a massive part of the game. And the reason, the reason you make the trip, yeah, it's 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 an event, isn't it? It's it's a shared yeah. experience. It's like you know, a gig is not a good gig without the audience. Yeah, like there's no way, no way, am I going to one of these fucking car park gigs where you Rubbish, sit mate. in your car and like look at some person who's just doing a money grab going through the motions on the stage that's not a music concert that's why that's not why people are into live music to stand in their stand next to their car in a grid and the artists uh, don't really enjoy it they might claim they do online going oh wow thanks guys that was amazing last night but in reality it was shit and they know it was and social media is it's just marketing you know they're saying that because it's part of the marketing yeah i don't know if you if you don't know if you saw the over here when we we are still letting some fans in but you're talking a thousand people in an 18th thousand seater stadium and to be honest the only people that wins are actually the broadcast audience at home because they seem to have the mics just put right on the small pocket of fans in the crowd so it does you know it adds the crowd the natural crowd noise for the people watching at home but yeah. I can't imagine that it's great for anyone in the stadium. But nah, I do quite like the idea of you know being in a, a quite a quiet environment of a football ground and being able to give a player pelters and they actually be able to hear it. That kind of appeals. Ah, <laughs> oh, got it. Horrible you are, bud. They need to have a restraining order on you. Because that's the thing, it will happen <laughs> won't it, at some point, and that'll be quite an interesting thing. Well, imagine if it's like 2,000 cunts in front. Oh, God. Can you imagine? <laughs> Twats at the back. Yeah. 2,000 of them, they all come up lucky one week and they're just hammering the players. Just 2,000 gobshites. Imagine what it'd be like at Arsenal. So 60,000 empty seats and 2,000 people all off Arsenal fan TV having a meltdown every week. How embarrassing will that be getting booed off by 2,000 fans? <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think what else happened. So going back to the fan consultation group meeting, I had a presentation from the digital uh, manager about the new website and other things on the horizon. I mean, the websites, you know, when they announced the new kits, they didn't manage to upload them in, in time. So they can't really be... Uh, blowing the trumpet on the website just yet. I mean, the first test on the websites are always the uh, how smoothly ticket allocations go when it's things like Wembley allocations. Yeah, so, never uh, meltdown or something. You have to hold your fire on uh, before you start awarding uh, best in-show prizes to the, uh, to the website. Yeah, there can't be much quantity of traffic at the moment, I wouldn't imagine. No. Anyway, moving on, uh, Villa under-23s have played a couple of games in the last week, uh, actually against two teams in the bottom three. Uh, they've beat Stoke 2-0 thanks to goals by Louis Barry and Jaden Philogene Bidas. Yeah, henceforth known as JPB. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And if anybody who regularly listens to the show, uh, you will know that we do point out that Aston Villa's youth team seems to have quite a lot of double barrel name players. <laughs> it's half of the course for a lot of footballers now. Isn't it? <laughs> They're a very posh team, our under 23s. They also, a few days later, played, I think this was on Friday, they played Fulham and lost 3 2 to Fulham with Tom Heaton in goal who, uh, having uh, looked at the highlights, looks a bit rusty. I think he should have saved their first one. Didn't get down quick enough there. Uh, Louis Barry also scored uh, both of Villa's goals, either side of uh, the half-time. Yeah, he's, he's looking sharp all of a sudden. He had, a, he, had a, he had a slow start, but now he's starting to see what he's all about. Yeah, he's got that, he's got that kind of composure 
which is good to see at that, especially at that age. Yeah. Still, he's he's quite he's, he's quite short, Arsene, isn't he? He's yeah, quite he's a frail. Sort of small. He's got a, sort of an air of like a Michael Owen about him. Yeah, it's going to be interesting player. to see if either he goes down the route of padding out a bit, or uh, if he actually has a, any more growing to do. But uh, there's, a, there's a couple of them that look quite good. I think Barry's sort of starting to impress. There's that Carney, I think it's Chuck Moeka, who they were raving about as well. He looks the real deal in the sort of deep-lying midfield role. It'll be interesting to see, again, if he grows. Because he kind of he, he, he saunters around the pitch. He's got that air of like a Patrick Vieira. He looks like that when he carries the no, ball. No, no, hype machine. No, no. <laughs> he can't be calling under-23 Villa players Patrick Vieira. He plays like him. I didn't say he is like him. If only he was. <laughs> if only. If only he was like Isaiah Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> that, see, that's why I flagged you on that because no, no, the, last, I, I do the, that. La- <laughs> the last player that was described as Villa's uh, potential Patrick Vieira was Isaiah Osborne. <laughs> but is he still uh, a morsel? Is he retired now? <laughs> Who knows where he is? God knows, but uh, He's, there's one for underrated, overrated. <laughs> yeah, we should have done him actually. But uh, uh, sorry, just to finish on the under twenty threes, they're currently fifth in a playoff spot. So, but they're a bit of a fifty fifty team. So before everybody starts blowing smoke up their asses, uh, they're still very much a work in progress. Uh, we played nine, won four, drawn one, lost four. And as we've said, it doesn't count for shit unless some of them. You know, graduating to the first team, but uh, there's they're only three points off the top. It's actually a, quite a close league. There, it's a bit of a uh, coin toss league. Just looking ahead to uh, the Newcastle game, where apparently there's been a bit of a COVID outbreak there. Yeah, there were there's uh, at least five people among the players and staff that are self isolating there, and um, of course the the headlines coming out everywhere going, oh, the game in doubt, game in doubt, and things like that. But I mean, realistically, the game shouldn't be in doubt. They either play somebody out of their twenty five man squad, or else they forfeit and give us the three 0 win. Yeah, my sentiments exactly. Right, let's move on to uh, the three points. Uh, first number, first point, which I actually missed uh, when it was actually happening. I think it's still an ongoing thing. But Manchester United cyber attack, where Manchester United have reportedly been held to ransom for millions of pounds by hackers after they seem to have compromised the club's uh, computer systems. So they are essentially blackmailing uh, for, or or they'll release sensitive data. Let them release it, I say. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, it's probably, it's probably let's have some proper um, clickbait about yeah. Manchester United. <laughs> That'd be a novelty, wouldn't it? Yeah, rather than bloody Grealish uh, sensitive links. Sensitive information. Jack Grealish did not buy a house in Manchester. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, there are no emails rela- linked to the potential purchase of uh, Jack Grealish. But apparently this seems to happen quite a lot. Uh, a report revealed recently that 70% of all uh, sports organisations had experienced uh, cyber incidents in the previous year. Uh, there's a few little finger fingers pointed to Russian hackers. Yeah, you can kind of imagine, can't you? I mean, they are they are targets because they all have such big sort of media presences, especially the big clubs. They're quite high profile targets. There is an upshot to this, which is kind of interesting, where United could also face fines. Uh, in terms of breaching their fans' data, and you know, fans' data protection. Although the, f- the club did reassure fans that this is not the case. Well, it would obviously say that straight off the bat anyway. But the fines could be crazy, for, you know, like 9 million, 18 million. So uh, it's, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Well, there. the interesting one, it was, it was, yeah, it was 9 million, 18 million, or 2% of their total annual worldwide turnover. That's a grand statement, isn't it? Yeah, maybe this is Aston Villa fan hackers who are just trying to drain the club of their resources so they can't purchase Grealish. Be quite clever. Apparently, uh, an unknown 
EFL club received a five million ransom demand uh, after its systems were crippled. The club refused to pay up or were unable to operate their CCTV and stadium turnstiles, almost resulting in the match being postponed. I'm sure it wasn't Blues because they haven't even got electricity there yet, have they? So, yeah, let alone a digital setup. Yeah. All right, we'll see what happens uh, there, but there might be a, a Wiki United leaks uh, at some stage. If that happens, then we know they haven't paid up or uh, managed to catch the uh, perpetrators. Point number two, Barcelona have agreed to uh, cut wages that will save the club €122 million, Euros, which is about £110 million. Pounds. The, uh, this is all because of, obviously, uh, the, what's happened with the pandemic. Although I think that it's, a, it's a referral, is it not? Or a deferral, should I say, I over a three-year so, yeah. three year period. I think they've already deferred some money. I remember back in the first lockdown, there was talk about uh, deferring. Their, I think this was just a short-term deferring their wages for a yeah. couple of months. Well, they're, they're in crisis, aren't they, financially, Barcelona? And they have been for a while after buying, you know, the likes of Neymar, etc. This long list of very overpaid players with astronomical yeah. transfer fees. It didn't work. So the club, you know, behind the scenes is kind of in crisis at the moment, which is part of why Messi wanted out, didn't he? As if Messi wasn't already playing with a miserable look on his face there. Now he's, got, now he's found out his wages have been deferred and docked <laughs> as well. I mean, you, you can see he's not a happy bunny over there. Speaking of somebody who's now being paid peanuts, uh, point number three, Alan Pardew has been named, it's quite random, has been named the new technical director of CSK Sofia. Now, of all the places to turn up, no disrespect to CSK Sophia, it's just a bit random for somebody like Pardew. I mean, why? I and mean, why did Sophia think that he would be good enough to be their technical director as well? I mean, Bulgaria, you only have to go back a couple of decades when they had a team that, you know, was in the semi finals of the World Cup. Yeah, with Stoitzkoff, etc. Yeah, with uh, fuck off, back off, <laughs> get off, shag off. That's Pardew. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't uh, like Bulgaria safety? Is that the, it's the porn star capital or is that Budapest? Yeah, and just a hub of prostitution. Pardew, Pardew just thinks he's on a stag dude, doesn't he? I think. I think permanently in life that is his, uh, yeah, his stance, mission. He's, he's only just come out of his Newcastle contract, hasn't he? After about was it like eight or nine years or something, it was that long, wasn't it? Uh, have you ever been to Bulgaria? Yeah, had a gig when, once. Yeah, I, I went to Sofia once for Conan the Barbarian set visit, the remake. Oh God! With Aquaman as Conan, right? Whereas on set, so I went to his trailer, and I think he had his baby daughter was probably less than one, still a baby. He had her in one hand while he had in the other hand he was eating in a Tupperware box broccoli and chicken, which is obviously a, you know just a protein diet to get the muscles going to play Conan. And then on the same trip, I ended up uh, in Rose McGowan, her flat for an hour, chatting to her, interviewing her. Obviously, she went on to uh, spark up the whole Me Too movement and uh, take down Harvey White. Einstein. Funny enough, Phil, she she uh, we were talking about Northern Ireland actually because she was getting some bad rep in the in the press that she'd said something and uh, she was kind of clearing it up with me and she goes, oh, could you could you make sure you kind of mention that's not what I said about Northern Ireland? I can't remember what it was, but I think she had she felt that she might had a a target on her back. <laughs> so, as it turned out, she you know became uh, in the spotlight big time a few years later. Anyway, I don't know who's who, who's in for more of an adventure there, CSK Sophia or yeah, that could uh, be fireworks. To be fair, yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. It's, it's just something seedy about it, if you ask me. 
You've just you can just see another press conference with a British man- manager doing a fake accent, can't you? Like Barton when he went to bloody France and when uh, what's his name, um, the Wally McLaren. with the Broly was over at yeah. Willem too. Yeah. McLaren, yeah, good luck with the Bulgarian accent. <laughs> Other things outside of the three points have happened. Obviously, Maradona passed away 15 years after, on the same day as George Best passed away. Imagine them as a front too. In a way, I was wondering. It's not. It's not right to say it. it's nice, but it's sort of it, like it just adds another list. I mean, the, the two of them can then be remembered in that day. So, yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of people of a certain generation we didn't like Maradona. This is the uh, the fun thing. Mm-hmm. mainly down to 86 and then you've got the whole Falkland rollover and that game added to it and that's why you know Argentina was so up for that game no well, I mean I I t- always took an interest in Maradona because it's one of my earliest memories I mean I remember my, my late father we were watching uh, the 1990 World Cup and it was Argentina's first game and Maradona came on for an interview and he just like lifted the TV remote and just turned the TV off and walked out of the room and I, and I was just <laughs> oh, wow from, yeah from that moment on I was like because he, he wasn't even that much into football I remember just thinking well I need to find out more about this guy that I'm not even allowed to watch on TV I have to find out more and so it was yeah well well the story is uh, that when Villa played Barcelona in the Super Cup over two legs and in the Noor camp they won the first leg and then we beat them uh, after extra time 3-0 in the second leg but apparently after the first leg Maradona or Maradona's uh, representative went into the villa changing room and asked for Gary Shaw's shirt well, he's, only, he's only human so legend has it and Gary Shaw is uh, well when I was a kid he was like how Grealish is to people today yeah, it's just a it's just a sad way to go for Maradona, isn't it? Obviously, most people just I think good. Fortunately for him, he'll be remembered for his antics on the field. You know, and obviously, what a player, and especially to, you know to to play in those times on those pitches with the, the way the game was played, and he was a strong player as well. And he carried that Napoli team, didn't he? Because they were a nothing team yeah. before he went there. Um, it's kind of like when you think about it in modern terms, it would be like Messi going and playing for. A relatively non Aston Villa, yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and then dragging him up to the top because they is it two seasons running they won the the league didn't they? Well, you know, if Grealish wants uh, the path to greatness, then he's going to do a, a Maradona with Napoli job with Villa. Maradona's, you know, his, his off-field antics and his, his sort of his... well, that's what that's what made me warm to him in the end. Uh, he became a real myth, you know, like a myth, didn't he? Like a real character. Yeah, I mean, there was there was many a Friday night back when I was playing football and I was thinking to myself, I didn't know whether I was, you know, in the squad for the Saturday or not. And, you know, maybe having another beer or another whiskey or something like that there. And then you got the phone call and you just looked at the glass and you thought to yourself, well, if Maradona can do that on the pitch, I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I can easily be third sub, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, there's, a, there's a mantra to live your life by. What would Maradona do? Yeah, another bottle of I whiskey. Lo- I love please. the picture of him with the uh, with the Gallagher brothers in his hotel room, where like, you know the Gallagher brothers were both both off their tits, and then they got into his hotel room and realised that Maradona was actually twice as off their tits as them. You just see the picture of his eyes just bulging out of his face. Yeah, but it's, it still doesn't be. Was it in the uh, the, the American World Cup, World Cup yeah. when he scores and he runs up to the yeah, camera? Yeah, oh it was just scary, wasn't it? And you're thinking. That's not somebody who's like a late. That's somebody uh, who's like charged up to the max. Yeah, and he obviously failed his drugs test, didn't he? Yeah, well, there's a surprise. Because <laughs> that's the thing, you know, a modern player of that era, if if they failed a drugs test at a major tournament, they'd be branded as a like a traitor of the sport and all sorts. But Maradona's legacy has seemed to continue from when he was younger. Well, he has like a godlike status yeah. uh, amongst a Napoli fans, and then in Argentina as well. Yeah, well, I mean, tributes you... in Napoli outside the stadium because they played in the Europa League, didn't they, last week um, on the day of his death, or the day or the night after? 
and it was just thousands outside the stadium with flares and stuff. It was mental. Yeah, somebody's done uh, stats for the 86 World Cup as if it would be like, you know, modern players love their stats. Seven goals, sorry, seven games, five goals, five assists, involved in a goal every 63 minutes, directly involved of 71% of his team's goals, 27 chances created, 53 dribbles and 53 fouls won, all in seven games. So there's proper stats for you. Yeah, he carried that team, didn't he? I think the whole mythology is a proper character. And, you know, we've already had some very good documentaries about Maradona and that uh, tells you all you need to know. I think somebody at FIFA suggested retiring the number 10 shirt. Who was that? Yeah, I saw that on the news that they were talking about retiring all the number 10 shirts. You're thinking, yeah. Absolute bollocks. What a load of shite that is. I mean, Pele was number 10, was he not? Yep. Jack Grealish is number 10, is he not? He is indeed, David. <laughs> I mean, Maradona's only Messi's the third. number 10. Mar- yeah, but he's a schmuck. But Maradona's, you know, only like the third best player ever. We'll say Messi's the fourth. But, you know, it's a toss-up between Pe- uh, Pele and Grealish. They're all number 10s. Can't retire the number 10. Everybody's stunned in silence. I've said I'm stunned Gr- in silence. Gr- <laughs> you are Jack, to be honest. <laughs> Hashtag Dave's on the bandwagon. Pe- people turning off this podcast thinking he's lost it. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, joking aside, just a quick update on the Wrexham story that we mentioned in the last podcast. Uh, Ryan Reynolds has begun the charm offensive. He's delivered, uh, I think this is each, 18 bottles each of Aviator Gin that he uh, he used to own the majority share and he sold it for something ridiculous, like $600 million or something. But he still has some kind of investment in there. But anyway, he sent uh, 18 bottles each to several of the local Wrexham pubs near the racecourse ground, which he's a smooth operator, isn't he? He's already got them on side. That's how you do it. He's obviously wooing them, but he's wooing them in a nice way. But also quite a big move is uh, Liverpool chief executive Peter Moore, who was, uh, I think he's left Liverpool now, but he was the chief exec of uh, Liverpool when they've won the league and uh, the European Cup. And he lives out in America now, and he's kind of working with them in an advisory kind of role. I've got a feeling they're going to get promoted back in the football league pretty sharpishly. Uh. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? At that level, if you've got a little bit of money to spend and you can put it on the pitch, you're going to fly through the leagues. We've seen that with teams previously, haven't we? The, the feel-good factor that is already kicked in, they're starting to win already. Right, let's uh, let's get into this game. David Moyes, uh, he had like, like what, lost only once in the last nine games, or was he unbeaten in nine against Villa? I think he was unbeaten. No wonder Randy Lerner used to get so excited when he saw him. <laughs> he used to jump out of his yeah. chair. It was the only time he got animated, wasn't it? <laughs> And then there was the fact that uh, the referee, Peter Banks, uh, Villa had, uh, hadn't won in their last five games when he'd ref their matches. And he's starting to think, oh, is this really not going to be our day? But on a positive note, uh, the uh, in terms of statistics going into this game, if we'd won, we'd be uh, in a healthy uh, fourth place. And and that's the difference at this stage. It's where you where you're starting to establish where you're going to be in this season. I think if we win this, or if we won Brighton, you're suddenly looking. Well, we're still challenging. We're you know we're hanging in there, and that kind of momentum takes you so far that you'll end in a you know reasonably healthy position, even if you haven't got the minerals, let's say, to challenge for Europe. But now we're looking like that mid-table team, and the and these bottom teams are starting to win now, which uh, they were looking like they were cut adrift. David, 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 relax. 
Max. This is this is this is this is lost two of Smith's seasonal fifteen game losing run. Relax. (laughs) (laughs) It's not February yet. (laughs) I mean, let's go through this uh, game. I mean, it started great, didn't it? Oh, brilliantly, yeah. (laughs) Swimmingly from the start. We should have known. We've got to sort out that first two minutes of games. It seems to be key. What, Villa, Villa hamstringing themselves? Yeah, we are definitely making a mm-hmm. habit of this. So uh, going into the game, the selection, uh, I mean, the only real debate was whether it was going to be Hurahan and Jure for Barkley. I mean, where were you all uh, hedging your bets on that selection? I thought it'd be Hurahan, to be honest. Having had a you know a week's recovery, etc., I think he was the obvious choice to play midfield over Traore. He's not a central midfield player, is he? What do you think of Traore so far, Dan? He looked relatively lively when he came on. I, I'm not 100% sure on what his position is. You know, we tried, we tried to do a bit of research on him when he joined from Leon. We're going to need to see more, but I was surprised that it, it's telling that he didn't make the 11. I don't think he's, at the moment, I mean, it's very, very early days, but mm. it, it, that price tag seems a bit uh, inflated. Well, time will tell. And I think that the thing about the Premier League, it exposes you immediately. You have to start delivering pretty quickly uh, especially on a 15 game losing run um, but you, you do need <laughs> it's coming everyone I can't wait the suspense is killing me uh, um, but I, I think as well you, you also see that how how limited the squad depth is that you're looking yeah. at Hurahan I expected Hurahan to be picked um, bit of a head scratcher I suppose with Traore still Ramsey's a rookie and then you, you are scratching around aren't you going oh Nakamba Mm-mm. But, uh, I mean, let's talk about that first goal. It was the old return of uh, Aston Villa's zonal Ugh. marking on set pieces, and it was almost a carbon copy, wasn't it, of Southampton, McGinn marking uh, whichever giant was in their team at the time. You know, the thing about that goal that really, really frustrated me was that, that the corner that we conceded that led to the goal was as badly defended as the actual oh, it goal was itself. Woeful, it, it was so bad and it was as though we'd wheeled out four mannequins from the recently crashed Arcadia group to defend the first first corner. <laughs> it was so bad. It makes me say terrible things about people. It's a good job I'm in the comfort of my own living room, so only, only scarring my children's ears. What's the solution though in terms of this uh, zonal marking? Do it properly. Learn. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do what Lu- I mean. Louise gets caught, doesn't he, in, in no man's land, and, and I think he marks Hurahan for the cross, and, and Matt Target finds Og Bonner on top of him before he knows it's, it. It's pretty simple that if you're going from a standing start and the opposition have got a run up, you're not going to win that header, especially when you're Matt Target, John McGinn, or another short ass. And Emmy Martinez yeah. did was pretty weak as well, throwing himself on the floor. Because when you when you uh, opposition, you're looking at the you know the videotape of previous games, and you're just thinking, right, if we get a corner, big man, just out, you know, just a drift of the uh, edge of the eighteen, looking at disinterested, and then just make a late run and corner taker back post because Villa aren't putting their main boys or any anybody with any stature on the back post. It seems. And just attack it late. Yeah, you're giving them too much credit. Then make a late run, make a late meandering dander into the the box, and then just <laughs> nod it in. I mean, you, you can legislate for it because uh, just look who's uh, hovering outside the edge of the 18, who seems to be over six foot, and make sure somebody's uh, got their eye on him. It's a simple it's so result. frustrating, though, isn't it? When you've you've yet you know you've yet let yet to lose away from home, you've yet to concede away from home in any competition, and you think, God, make make someone earn it, like. 
At least if someone yeah. s- sticks one in the top corner from 30 yards or does like what Ward Prowse did to us before, you think, well, all right, fair play. But don't just but don't gift them two appalling goals. You can say, well, that was the only way you were ever going to score against us, like a 30-yarder top corner. But no, we'll just give you a go. We we weren't we didn't want to keep that unbeaten record. We didn't want to keep that you know clean sheets away from home. Yeah, well, we you know mid table was the goal, and we're working bloody hard to achieve it, aren't we? At the moment, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> Uh, Villa's response uh, after that uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I, th- I think it took on another level once Grealish uh, got the goal because I mean he was the only person really offering anything uh, to up to his goal, and he's becoming a bit of a master of the deflected goal. But I think that's because he's taking his sh- he's shooting a bit earlier because that was one of the criticisms of him it was you know just pull the trigger. Mm. Sometimes he just takes that extra touch and that early strike when the early strike a sometimes you get the deflections b you know the keeper's not r- ready and set so sometimes you can catch him off uh, off guard but it was a good goal and at that point he was making sure our heads weren't dropping at that stage to the early I goal. mean we'd had we'd had sniffs hadn't we you had you had the cons a chance where Conrad whipped a phenomenal ball in and he should have hit the target you had you know um the Harahan free kick which was a, a good effort but one you'd expect the keeper to save so we'd we'd grown into the game by that point um I think Trezeguet had a sort of a half chance that he'd made a mess of as well and you thought Villa are kind of getting a getting ahead of steam here so it wasn't a huge I think the, the commentator said you know it has kind of been coming because West Ham just stopped once they got the lead in the you know, second minute or whatever it was I mean we finished the half with 60% of the possession and uh, I mean there was that nice the little interplay wasn't there on the edge of the box yeah you were hoping that was going to be the future of the second half when there was a nice little interchange between McGinn Horahan and then I think Trezeguet got a touch before Watkins uh... that was probably Trezeguet's shot yeah but uh, I mean I wouldn't trust him with it so uh... <laughs> Watkins <laughs> rightly robbed him. Yeah. <laughs> but he was thinking, oh, yeah, a bit more of that because we hadn't really seen v- uh, Villa do that after Barclays uh, stepped off, you know, playing with a bit of confidence with, with, you know, they've been playing within themselves a little bit. Do you not think it showed how, I, I thought quite early on that when, when we we realised that we had probably the measure of West Ham, we, we really missed what we've seen with Barclay where he, almost him and Grealish orbit one another. It's the way I've been thinking of it. And Barkley has that yeah. ability to get him ahead of Grealish in between Watkins and even run beyond Watkins. The, the rest of it was, um, I mean, very nice, very neat, but quite predictable at times. And I think that... that yeah, <laughs> I'd agree with that. I, I think nothing against Hurahan and what he, what he you know, similar similar in temperament to a Trezeguet that he works hard, consummate professional. Quality's not there and all not consistently there that, I mean, comparing the the two West Ham goals that which you know they took their opportunities we had Huran had countless set play opportunities that you know that 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 works in League One and the Championship but when you get fewer of them and you have to take your opportunities oh. the Premier League that that that's the difference he's downgrading Huran he even <laughs> threw in League One there <laughs> oh, ouch <laughs> well, he likes to make he likes to make the point that he's come up the divisions and I, and I do think it's it's similar with with Trezeguet that Trezeguet is a hundred percent commitment, and he gets himself. Oh, we'll get onto right. him in a minute. Yeah. Save, save that one. Save, save the sacrifice. <laughs> the, the only thing I wanted to add about the first half was Mings uh, got caught. Mm. It was the only time you know West Ham had a real sniff. He got caught overplaying it in his own. Uh, it's one of those a game, on, doesn't it? On the corner of his eighteen-yard box. At least one of those a game. Yeah, which is uh, always a bit of a concern with him. I mean, it's it's easy to pick one, you know, the one negative thing. Yeah, let's do does. that. Let's pick a negative for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know he, he, he is uh, he's kind of the benchmark that holds our defence together and the talisman figure in there. But he isn't that you know he's not 
always a hundred percent. But I thought uh, it was going. You know, you went in at half time, and I think we we were saying in match club more of the same. But of course, when you say that, you're just assuming that uh, the opposition are just going to you know lay down and do exactly what they did. But Moyes, to his credit, reacted proactively. Double substitution. Ben Rama and Haller came on, and you thought for Moyes, who's uh, not normally considered the most, uh, let's say, adventurous uh, manager. This, I thought that was a, a good move by him and uh, was pivotal to winning the game in the end, apart from uh, the whole list of other reasons why we didn't win it. Well, I, I didn't even have time to, to make all those considerations because uh, as the whistle went, I sat down, I looked up and the ball was in the net and I was like, oh, right, here we go again. I mean, in terms of Ben Rama, you know, half of me was thinking, oh, right, we'll get a good look at Ben Rama. But literally, he just came on, set up the winner, and then, and then you never saw yeah, him again. Fuck all, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Put his deck chair out after that, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, my work is done here. I mean, if you're Smith, I mean, Oto have had a camera on him when that goal went in straight after the, you know, the half-time break. You're thinking the first thing he'd have said was, right, get back into the game start the second half well and they're there for the well, take they were back in the game weren't they they were one all yeah but in terms of like get, get 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 your foot back in the game get some momentum get the second half going not concede after like 30 seconds or something it's the sloppiness of it again that, that you think that they got so quickly and Ben Ram was allowed to advance so quickly and put that put that ball in where I wouldn't describe it as a mistake but you look at Mings's positioning Konza we're we're very bunched and it's it's a worry really because that that wasn't one of many chances for West Ham. No. You know, and, and that's a concern for me that I'd love to see, you know, people would argue probably correctly at the other end that, you know, we had 16 chances, I think. M- many of them, yeah. you know, at least six good ones, I think I counted. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into those. Where Smith would probably say, well, do you know, we, you know, we fairly conceded two goals there, but, you know, w- would I would I legislate for Watkins smashing the bar, Trezeguet conspiring to miss from two yards, Vars' ridiculous decision at the death, Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. They had two shots on target, 
both in. We had six, which would be those six chances that you just yeah. said uh, were the ones. You know, they had six shots on target. Sorry, six shots in all, mm. two on target, scored with both of them. We completely dominated that game. Oh, yeah. You see, it's a, a bit of nice in the box by an attacking player on the other team, and it always seems to go in. We look at Bamford's three goals against us, you know, yeah. clever. I mean, Bones flicked header. That was a great flicked header by him. You're not expecting it, expecting it from him. You're not even expecting him to be there, being a winger, but he's just ghosted in, just flicked it on back in the net. And it, it comes back to me is who are Villa playing against in training that sort of you don't have the variety of players to train against that have this sort of like flick the they're very good at closing down players like Trezeguet, El Ghazi, whoever they're playing against in training, but it's only in a match <laughs> situation that they get to they get to play against these players that sort of use a bit of genius. But you know the cliche that they roll out when a team doesn't have many chances but they take them. It's like this is the, the Premier League and you get punished in the Premier League. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, what what level are we? But you know, then you you only have to go back a few weeks, and we and we we're taking every chance we got against Liverpool, and you know, we suddenly score seven. We were ruthless against Arsenal as well, so we have got it in us. And you know, before this game, if you if you uh, you were talking about the attributes of Watkins, you'd say he was a ruthless striker. You know, he's, he's a proper finisher, and that's what you know most fans are raving about him uh, for it's like oh we've got a legit finisher here i feel it's important david i just remind uh, phil shaw that that dean smith did point out that he had some of the best training ground players in the world so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so actually i'll have you know anwar yeah, well, al is um, quite something at bodymore <laughs> well i would go I would go back to the Liverpool game and say the first thing we said about Liverpool is while we're all gushing over it being seven, it should have been 11, 12, 13. <laughs> yeah, it should have been at I least mean, 10, shouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so no, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of true. It is in us to miss them. A uh, bit of a ruckus uh, West Ham that kicked this off uh, when Grealish, uh, I think he delayed his reaction on one of uh, the challenges in the West Ham bench went mad and Terry, I think, jumped to Grealish's defence and there was yellow cards. Uh, well, it was Kevin Nolan being gobshot for a change, wasn't it? Which he's made a career yeah. out of. But Grealish is very good at, at winning the winning the foul. I mean, it's he, he knows when to leave uh, a part of his body in the way. Certainly in the I first say. half, they took the bait. I mean, and the, the ref, this is where this was the start of the ref having a bad night because yeah. there was one where their centre-back goes straight through the back of him and you can see as the play develops what's going to happen. The ball's going to go into Jack's feet and this guy's going to go straight through him and he does. And that's the ref's opportunity to go, you've had two or three already as a team now one of your players is taking a yellow, and he didn't well, enforce it. Then I thought that there was a there was a strange undercurrent through the game actually, and I, and I think David's right that it was it was triggered by their by West Ham's I think inability to deal with Grealish, and so there was a number of cynical fouls that that Grealish played on really because he's he's actually yeah. too quick. West Ham were guilty yeah. of some cynical stuff. I, I thought the flick yeah. out for the for the player who got yes. the yellow on Grealish, though it was a late reaction, that was he kicked him. Yeah, and, and the other the other one that sticks in my mind, I think it was Haller. On Mings, play, wasn't on, it? On Mings, yeah, zero intention really to play the ball. With his, left, put his studs through his ankle. Well, those are the ones where people pick up those little broken metatarsals, broken ankles, whatever, yeah. that mm-hmm. go below the radar, really. And and I think, you know, West Ham went away with a, with a victory tonight. P- probably one of the poorer teams that I've seen Villa play overall. And I think that's what... And they're fifth, they're and that's fifth what in the table And makes well. it more frustrating that, you know, we can bemoan VAR. VAR's a pile of shit. But we, we, we were... Our own worst enemies tonight because of some shit. Def- two two instances again. of shit defending again. Yeah, again. And some woeful finishing. And that, that's not to say, you know, that's not to say, you know, or me saying that Villa are shit, Villa are shit. They just need to be. They just need to be more clinical and more switched on. And for yeah. some of the some of the 
the signings and talent that we've got. You've got a player like Grealish who was playing on his own at times in terms of technical ability and skill. Um, I mean, the can't drag do it back all. in the, yeah, the, the, the little can't drag back all. that took four men out of the game in the second half mm. is class, isn't it? There's mm. little moments. It wasn't Jack's. Well, well, that led to Watkins missed the header. Yeah. yeah, that led to what the Watkins yeah, missed the header, one, didn't yeah. it? I mean, before that, you had, uh, and that was the biggest chance that didn't actually go in and, and wasn't ruled out, was uh, Trezeguet's sitter after the layoff from Watkins. Shocker, and he, he actually hit it in the only place that he shouldn't hit it, anywhere else. He was going wide, it's, it's, Yeah, It's in the net. I don't know, Ed, Ed wasn't on target, Dan's right. Ed was, go, Ed was going wide, so flappy Anske. Getting he just didn't want to go and get the ball. Yeah, getting a touch on it saved the embarrassment. Because if you if you <laughs> facing facing the goal, Fab, Fabianski was in like the left hand side of it, and the whole right was was an empty net, and all he had to do was inside of his you know left foot, and it's in. That was you know bigger a bigger miss than uh, the the rebound against Brighton, because you know that one it came back at him after he, he took the initial shot that was blocked. But this was you know you could see where you know you could see the ball coming, and I don't know what it is, but you know he was distraught after it. I mean I saw Watkins. Uh, he should be. Telling it was a him, shocker. Telling a him shocker. to book up. Put that on the highlights reel. This is where you, I mean, you said earlier, you know, what, what's my thoughts on on Traore? This is where you need players like that who have come into the club to be looking at, you know, if you, if you can't finish better than that over <laughs> 90 minutes and you can't demonstrate to Smith that you're, can he not do that role? This is not a one-off game, uh, Trezeguet. I mean, he has the highest uh, number of missed chances in the Prem, doesn't he? For shots. Caveat this with last season, at the end of the season, I mean, he, he surprised yeah, us yeah, yeah, by yeah. that. You know, the goal against uh, Arsenal was a surprise. Palace, you know, these are vital goals that led to us staying up. And I don't care what people say, in that project restart, his goals... It was three of them, wasn't it? The two key things that kept us up was defensive reorganisation and Trezeguet's goals. I mean, you know, whoever's writing these things about legend Grealish keeping us up, well, he, he wasn't really around uh, for Project Restart. And this isn't a dig at Grealish. I'm just saying the significance of Trezeguet was his goals kept us up along with the defensive reorganisation. So it's weird to be here now talking about him and saying, well, I'm sorry, but working, getting up and down the field and, you know, being a good workhorse you can pay a Sunday league player to do that. That's part of the course. It's part of the cause. Effort is part of the cause. It's at this simple. Level. I liked Chris Budd in 2019. I don't like him in 2020. It's just <laughs> <laughs> it was very similar to El Ghazi's miss against Everton last season. Yeah, and it was just it was almost just, game game defining. Yeah, criminal. And you know, El Ghazi is somebody who's who's turned up, uh, you know, in the playoff final, etc. But you can't judge players on individual singular moments. You have to judge them, you know, it's top, a body top of work, players. as they say. And Trezeguet, unlucky these things happen, but not when it's eight days after he's had seven shots and a couple of them criminal. But when we first bought him, those initial games after his the first time he ran on on goal, I think it was against Spurs actually, mm-hmm. and you saw he fluffed his lines, didn't he? He didn't book back himself, and he fluffed his lines. And that's what he got a couple of times when he had shots. And then that's why we were surprised in lockdown by his finishing. But overall, you don't back him to score. And the, there's other misses. I mean, McGinn has had a, a howler of a miss as well. I mean, he yeah. sort of just after West Ham took the lead, we broke straight up the pitch. Was uh, really played it through to McGinn, ah, and yes. it was on his right foot. So we know he's we know he's left footed. He's all the time in the world to bring that back on to his left if he doesn't trust his right. But he just passes it straight at the keeper, and it gets blocked by a defender. Doesn't get to the keeper. It's just it's it's criminal as well. And we've already talked about the Watkins header, and there's there's a catalogue of just these unexplainable misses. You just don't know unexplainable. Where did, that's that's what yeah that's right. Yeah. Where did it come from? 
I mean, I said in you know, match of the start of the season, Villa had set the bar pretty high in terms of their you know their finishing, their play around the penalty area. They look pretty clinical. They look very solid in defence. And you've seen in the last, we lost four of the last five, if I'm right in saying. And um, and it's the same things every game. And you think that. But he can't while change while anything. We have, yeah, Chris. while we have improved, you think, hang on a minute, there's there's certain fundamentals here that are, that are happening every week now. You can't change anything. You, you know, you, we don't have the luxury where you lose a Barkley, you've got another Barkley to bring in. No, so of course I'll, not. I'll, I'll forgive him that. But I, I think that you, what he's locked into here is is the same system. So you know, if mm-hmm. Watkins clearly was having a mare today. Just it wasn't going to be his day. You know, but we didn't have anyone to roll on as a natural replacement or say, do you know, what? we're going to give you some support around you with a second striker or someone to play off you, yeah. especially how West Ham were playing. And I thought that, that that hurts us because it makes us predictable, which is which has been our problem for, for more than 18 months, really. But I think that it doesn't allow us to, we don't have any other quality to blend in and change the system. Hash, hashtag big man incoming. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag big man coming back. Hashtag big man. These are some of the hashtags Wesley's been using on his social media. <laughs> he doesn't realise that Davis is going to play before him. Well, it's like he's I mean, bigging it, himself I mean, I up. Thought, similarly to Brighton, tonight would have been a Davis game because you saw what he did against West Ham at the end of last mm-hmm. season. He just gives you a different, you know, a centre-back, something different to think about. You can use Wait, him as a focal But he can't point. finish, though. No, he but can't you can finish, use him. But if you have between him, him and Trezeguet. <laughs> passing yeah, it back if, um, if you use him as a foil for Watkins... You don't have to make Watkins play with his back to goal. You can get him running in behind rather than Watkins having to be like the focal point. You can just ping things into Davis and he will hold it up. Then all of a sudden you but can to, play a different way, but we can't play a different way at the moment. To be honest, I did think about Wesley because I thought actually this would have been a game for, for Wesley he's got as a bit well. of nasty, like a little nasty streak where he yeah. wants to get stuck in and throw people around a bit. Something and to I prove. Think he would have, well. yeah. he would have bullied them. So uh, when, when I see when I see the hashtag big man incoming or big man coming back, I get a little warm, you know, warm feeling in my heart, thinking that it's not all just over. your heart. <laughs> <laughs> that there is hope. Uh, quick game of uh, touch count midfield. How many touches did Douglas Louise have against West Ham? Sixty. Phil. Thirty-four. Dan. Sixty-one. <laughs> 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 101. Wow. Uh, wow, 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 wow. Right, okay. Horahan, 73 minutes though. Mm. 73 minutes. So uh, factor that in. Dan? 45. Chris? 50. Phil Shaw? 40. 53. Ooh. Wow, close. Jack Grealish? Chris? Douglas, we had 100. I'm going to go with 70. Dan? 95. Phil? Hang on with 100. No, 71. Ooh. Good shooting by Chris. I'm as good as there. Now, John McGinn, how many? Oh, well, I'm going to go like 30. Dan? 45. Phil? 25. Ooh. 41. Yeah, a lot lower. The whole point of this mm. was how low John McGinn is compared to the other. I mean, he was 12 touches below Horahan and Horahan played 17 minutes less. That is interesting, actually. I put out an article against Southampton and Leeds. He was between 35 and 40 in those two games. Mm. In the Brighton game, obviously Barkley came off. He had 69. So I was expecting this would be... I was looking at that and thinking, well, he'd obviously been playing deeper. I remember last season when he came back from injury and people were saying, oh, it's not the same McGinn, you know, McGinn needs resting. But he was being played in a deeper role, especially before his injury. So that was kind of something that we were mitigating 
why you know you weren't getting the show real moments of McGinn anymore. So after seeing those stats, the difference between when our midfield was just being run through against the Saints and Leeds, and then suddenly against Brighton, he had almost like double the amount of touches. But he's back to where he was, and it's like, what role is he playing? Because he's, I mean, one of those games uh, I remember saying on the podcast, you know, where where did McGinn go? Because it was, I remember going through about half an hour and not actually seeing where McGinn appear on the screen. I think the way McGinn plays, he's not a he's not like a Louise or Jack O'Connor. He's not like a tick attacker passing player. That's not his game. And some games can just pass him by if he doesn't get to sort of drive with the ball. You didn't see him carry the ball or take it to teams and you've seen him less and less. You know, if the first season we had him in the championship, you'd see the ball go into feet with his back to goal. That's where he's got his, you know, reputation for sticking his backside into people. Yeah. You see it so seldom now barely see it once yeah, no, again. This is the, the contrast between what we were seeing in the championship from him, where he'd, people, players would bounce off him and, and he was at the centre of everything, to what we see now, and he's almost anonymous. I'm just going to uh, say it. I think he's carrying a bit of weight. I, I don't know what instructions McGinn's being given. He always seems to be like a spare, mm. spare part in that midfield. He's, yeah, he's just need- give us legs. It's like a generic yeah. term, just be everywhere. Yeah. He's neither here nor there. He's nowhere. That's the thing. He, and but Leeds just ran through us, isn't it? So he's not. He's not providing the energy, which I thought. Yeah, of course, that's his role. We have Douglas Louise mopping up and playing deep. Then you've got McGinn in that kind of number eighty position, and you know Jack and Barkley can take the ten and obviously uh, the eleven position as well, and be like the attacking uh, part of the midfield. So McGinn's. You expect him to, as a number eight, to be more in there if that is his role. Yeah, I agree with you. I think with McGinn, my observation of him in the Premier League is it's it's a couple of things really that I think that it's a big step up from the Championship. Yeah. You know, he had a lot more space, a lot more time could 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 boss those midfield those midfield many of the midfield. Sorry, he came up against. I think that the comparison is to see the development and compare it to the development of Louise. Louise is a. <laughs> Almost a one-pace footballer, but has improved his vision, his range of passing. And what McGinn tries to do, I think, sometimes is try to replicate the things that, that worked when we were a step down. Um, needs to apply a bit more thought to it, I think. That, that would be my observation. It's a bit like the, the, the mischance that uh, Phil mentioned earlier. It, it, you know, if you're not, if you're not right-footed... Don't, don't try and do what you do. You know, take take that moment to consider what you're going to do. Put your foot on the ball. There's no point in just passing the ball, you know, back to the goalkeeper. Um, and I think that's the difference you see with Louise. What we're, uh, my example would be is we actually see less of Louise in the final third, or having those pot shots that he, he initially had. And that's about development and about him improving his style. It's a discipline and being told exactly. to you know, hold back. Exactly. And I wonder whether there's part of that. Maybe McGinn has got a different role in the team. Um, you know, I found it surprising when they mentioned in the build-up to the game that he was assuming Barkley's role and we playing higher up the pitch because he, he didn't do that. No, he didn't. I mean, the, uh, I think he did against Brighton because that's mm. why he's, you know, he's got almost twice uh, the amount of touches because he's involved more. And, and the final thing, I, I don't know how it impacts because, you know, I've just wax lyrical about Louise, but I, you know, I do think they're very different styles of footballer. Um, McGinn has played a lot of game time as well, and I think that we hurt, like a lot of Premier League teams, we ha- we don't have equivalent players where you can rotate, where you can say, do you know what, McGinn, John, John you've had an hour, we're going to try someone else for the last 30 minutes, or do you know what, you sit the first hour out and we can, you know, we haven't got that luxury. Yeah, we can't freshen up for the sake of freshening no. up. Well, people aren't going to be brilliant every game. And I no. think that, you know, we've done this pod long enough where, you, yeah, we laugh and we joke and we pick out individual moments that are quite funny or quite bizarre. Um, but that's the thing I've noticed about McGinn and it's it's what Phil was saying, I suppose. I'm not quite sure what his role is. And it's, it is, players do go through periods of patchy form or 
but he has played a lot of football. Yeah, well, well, I mean, in this article, we actually pinpointed, uh, shout out to Scooter Thomas, the amount of minutes he's actually played, including international games mm. and league games and cup games. And he'd played all in 14 games because mm-hmm. of a lot of international games, uh, mm. 1,283 minutes. And the next highest was uh, Douglas Louise, who had also played, I think, four international games. Mm. Uh, I think McGinn played six. Some serious air miles But he well was, uh, yeah, so he, McGinn was uh, 275 minutes more than any other Villa player. And his average per game was, was 91 minutes, 91.6 minutes. That includes an injury time game, but he's playing the whole, you know, 90 minutes and then had injury time for Scotland in a game as well. I mean, not forgetting that he had a serious injury this, this calendar yeah. year. Yeah, so you're looking at Grealish, who's broken on into the England team, and it, and he's played games as well. He, I mean, he played three uh, games in the last international break, and he's played third. He's played the same amount of games as Douglas Louise. Uh, you know, came on in a sub, but so he's you know he's a few minutes shy of uh, Douglas Louise. But McGinn's on another level for his Scottish exploits now this is a I mean that was the thing about the article is it like fatigue already obviously shortened pre-season but we've seen him you know he's, he was great against Arsenal there's been uh, glimpses of what we would consider as Villa fans as the old John McGinn so he's you know it's not as if the injury uh, layoff has uh, let's say taken a couple of gears off him because we've seen that he's still capable but there's something uh, not quite right there. And, and the uh, prognosis was, is it fatigue or is it uh, he's playing a more withdrawn role to uh, give Barkley a bit more uh, room? Or it could just be a combination of all you know, all of the above, possibly. Yeah, Because yeah. you don't I, see him I, take as many pot shots. You know, for someone who's probably got the strongest shot in the team, every, every, time, the bloody, yeah, every time the bloody ball falls to him, it's always on his right foot. Yeah. So you kind of think... You know, is he just not getting into the positions? I mean, you saw, you know, when he gets into the positions, you know, he did against Liverpool, obviously got a lucky deflection, the the, the goal against Arsenal, he's had other moments. You think there's there's enough there to suggest that it's it's maybe tactical, a little tactical tweak, or I don't I don't know. Whether it's just the mental fatigue, you know, he's I, I I am aware that for Scotland, he is carrying Scotland. You know, it's sort of him and Robertson just carry that team. So whether it's just the mental fatigue that comes with the internationals um that might be a part of it i think you need to partner on the pitch i think he's he's completely isolated in that midfield and he shouldn't be i mean his partner was always jack now i know it was they made a running joke of it that now jack's will barkley but um i think if mcginn is playing deeper he needs to stick closer to douglas louise because yeah you see mcginn still can you know put his backside into something do the do the spin do the bounce of it but then he's outnumbered he's doing that in areas where um if you look at the goal in the playoff final he did that but he didn't actually touch the ball it was it haram played that and it just went all the way through mcginn just sort of helped it on his way he's making he's sort of making those moments now but he's isolated and the opposition just walk in and take the ball so he's just left on his own so he needs to either Go, he needs he needs to play with someone. That's what I'm saying because he, he's he's like an island there in the pitch at the minute. Well, you know, there's no solution to that because you've got. We should just need... sell him. We should just sell him. Sell him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man United, you say? Fifty million. But you've got your uh, you got your white. I mean, the way we set up, obviously, you've got your two wide men. So that's Grealish and Trezeguet at the moment. Watkins up top. So it's it's kind of a four three three, is it not? And the idea is you want Grealish to kind of come into the midfield as well, but. They were even, Barkley's got Barkley's got like a free role, so he's n- he's not number eight, is he? Really, he's kind of between. It's almost slightly fluid. Yeah. But I mean, there were, there were moments last year. I think it was against Everton. 
if I'm right in saying, where Smith changed it quickly, didn't he? He went from a 4-3-3 to a 4-1-4-1 and flooded the midfield. And that should be a, a relatively obvious change for Villa to be able to make because it's not a drastic change in style. But we just don't... Yeah, we, I'm not going to say plan B, but it's because it's not even necessarily a formation. It's just a slight tweak to what you're doing can make a big change. You saw that, you know, Moyes clearly knew their game plan wasn't working. So he came out and went, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna be pretty drastic. It's very seldom you see two changes at half time. And he'll and he'll feel vindicated in well, that change made yeah. the goal and we got the win in the end. We didn't even play well, but it worked. There was no way they were going anywhere if it just continued on as it was it was one way yeah. traffic for the most part of the game. Let's just hit the key points here. Penalty. So Watkins steps up from our limited experience of Watkins if we don't think about whatever he's done in the past you're thinking oh yeah he can take a penalty no problem with him taking this but then when he misses you start hearing stats that he's missed four of his last six penalties and he's no penalty taker and then you you think back and go oh yeah he scored 26 goals last season without in the championship without taking any penalties so Brentford have obviously worked out he's not a penalty taker I don't know if they actually got any penalties but you you would assume they got a handful at, at, at most and would you let somebody who'd missed three out of his last five penalties take a penalty that obviously had significance I mean the one against Southampton it's pretty relaxed because we'd lost the game already Phil would you let him five miss three of his last five no I mean, I don't think there's an excuse for missing a penalty. I mean, if you if you miss one, that should be you off you off duty until they've went through every other person that can take a penalty in the team until it gets back to you again. <laughs> I think if the keeper saves it, fair enough. I mean, you gotta gotta give. But this this didn't even hit the target. I mean, if you class the post as not hitting the target. I mean, I mean, ultimately, in in Watkins's defence, as bad as missing a penalty is, if you've got an important penalty and you're supposedly number nine doesn't want to take it you think hang on a minute that's not yeah, that's not no, right. exactly he should know like i mean you know, the, the year we went up you know abraham probably got into double figures off penalties alone glenn whelan <clears throat> exactly dan <laughs> i mean i don't want to throw in the fact that when you uh break your transfer record on a striker 28 million plus uh you expect him to be able to take penalties don't you we didn't see that in the small print when we bought him his penalty record no comment. <laughs> no, none needed. <laughs> none needed. I mean, you know, we can jump on, uh, as I said earlier on, you can jump on people for one one error. Need Phil King back. And uh, not give them the praise for when they're good. But we've given him plenty of praise because he does add a completely uh, different dimension. Yeah. And, he, and he took he uh, took, he took, the, took the goal that wasn't superbly. Yeah. That was a proper striker's finish. But that's I mean, it's terrible look on his part that oh, he redeems no. himself. What's being then, held by the throat? He redeems himself and then uh, the most farcical, I think, of all the decisions that have been overturned. And they keep tampering with this offside and then suddenly now it's arms, arm pits and all and I'm just thinking what well, should be surely just judge it on the, where the feet are and that's it because there's so many mitigating circumstances for the where the rest of the body could be at any certain time on an offside I mean because he was pushed wasn't he well he's grabbed hold of yeah, and he's, pushed. Yeah, he's, his arms offside because he's trying to yeah. fight out of the guy's grasp but he was pushed into that offside position in in the tussle that ensued before when the guy was all over him what I don't understand is how n- none of the match officials match officials who are there are actually officiating and can, can be involved in that decision making process i don't understand why when you've got the technology why wasn't there a why isn't there a not that it requires it because well, it was the, like the, the terminator of, scanning uh, it wasn't it well they were looking for they were looking for any reason any reason to give it and it yeah we, we can sit here and we can talk at I mean, there's plenty that have just affected villa but there was the one i think it was an early one at villa park was it a Firmino goal that got disallowed where his, his the tip of his tip of his penis was offside or something and it 
you just think it's a perfectly legitimate goal. And VAR's got to the stage now where you can no longer, not only can you no longer celebrate, you a rational sane person looking at the same screen has no idea what the outcome will be. It's not logical. It's not rational. But but what, what I'm saying is with the feet thing is if you want to be that distinct, like you you fire a VAR laser line across and if you are, just have it as the feet and then you've got something that uh, if you're offside by you know, a centimetre, it's like, well, it's fair enough. His feet's offside. But when you're starting to put it into all these grey areas of armpits and shirt lengths and what did you Bullshit. say? The tip of his penis, the size of his cock and all that kind of thing come into exactly. the equation. It's ridiculous. We're not allowed to talk about that anymore, are we? And no, aren't we? <laughs> also, well, we can't sing about it. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got nothing left than the jokes because at the end of the day, I mean, as a, I do want to caveat, we should, have, we should have been home and dry. We shouldn't have been depending upon a VAR decision. But you look at it and it's so... Shit! It's the decisions are so shit. Game after game after game. Every and game week, there is at least one jaw-droppingly <sighs> bad decision. This and that's week, the overriding this week, thing is it's killing football. It, it, it is. is. There's enough other things that are killing football at the moment. The fact that fans aren't at the ground. You've got all the the racism stuff. You've got the greed that is permanent. There are so many things at the moment that it's not f- a great game. But football it, is anymore. shooting itself in the foot about, and this is just another nail in the coffin. Well, you can now you can no longer celebrate a goal. So the the enjoyment and the you know the fact that we're to watch it in our own fucking living rooms is bad enough. But to not be able to have any of the you know not actually know what decision you've seen or what decision they're going to arrive at, and this this tedious, time consuming drawing of lines. Who who has permitted this? Who? It's just I'm no I'm not interested in it. Yeah, when all. we got that penalty, I was waiting for two minutes to see if it actually was a penalty. Yeah, and that was the strange thing about the penalty. They were looking at the, they were persistently replaying the the angle where they could least see the shirt pull and yeah. I'm thinking well what the fuck it was clear from the angle that you know <laughs> right I need to go and I need to go and like behind be the goal my... or the other side it's very clear the picture that's done the rounds online it's, it's just uh, and the fact that all the pundits are in agreement you know Carragher has his moments where he you know says some questionable things but actually he made all the right points and the fact he actually mentioned the um, the incident with the Scotland keeper didn't he um, after the yeah. game about, you know, the Scotland keeper, Marshall. yeah, Marshall's had probably the best moment in his entire career. He saved a penalty to get his, you know, his country to a tournament for the first time in 20 odd years. And he's lit, the first thing he does is, oh, I can't celebrate shit. I better look at the ref just to make sure I have my foot hasn't gone off the line. It's just, it's just ruining yeah. moments. It, yeah. it was the examination of possible encroachment after the uh, penalty as well. The penalty, and it just wasn't, you know, it was, it was never that. And you think, well, why, why am I wasting my life watching but, these clowns draw yeah, lines on screen? But going back to this instant, he was fouled, so it was a penalty. Yeah, yeah. and that wasn't. I mean, even they, they were just—they were so—they were so busy making sure it was an offside that they didn't actually look at the whole incident as a as a you know three sixty hundred percent thing. It was just yeah. like, right, we'll just do the offside bit. Oh yeah, we can uh, use that, can't we? He's, you know, his eyelash was offside, so uh, we'll give it offside. Well, you see, that's that's exactly what they do. They've, they've broken that incident into two things. What they've done is, yeah. right. VAR, he's offside, okay, but the clear the the penalty they're going and ah, there wasn't enough in it, so we'll we'll not use VAR to look at the foul. We'll say the referee, oh, we'll we'll not overturn that decision, but then we will do the offside. So you either look at the whole passage of play, or you look at none of it. Well, Mike Riley's the Professional Games Match Officials Limited PG Mole 
PG well, what did Riley tips. say? Uh, they always sneak out some little response, don't they? What do they say, Phil, on this incident? Well, what they do is they don't have their own Twitter account or anything like that. They don't front up and do anything. What they do is they leak it to whoever's broadcasting the game. So in the middle of the argument, they leak it out to Sky Sports that they didn't think the foul was clear and obvious. So that's why they, yeah. decided, they did the same with Brighton. They leaked it to BT against Brighton and just said that that that, that was overturned because they got a flick on the ball. Now, while they can get out the uh, Terminator scope to uh, analyse every possible angle to see if it's an offside, it's not clear and obvious enough just from a still photo that the West Ham defender's got his arm, both arms around Watkins. Yeah, that's uh, bollocks. It's it's so hypocritical, it's just And also, I mean, if you're going to, if if they're talking about detail and drawing these lines and getting it down to millimetres, why not use the clock Because what happens first? Well, the foul is probably a split second before Watkins is offside. Therefore, which which incident are you going to have to give first? Because if the foul happened first, doesn't matter what about the you know the the offside is immaterial. If if it's a foul before he goes offside, it's a foul. They should have given us a penalty. And disallowed the goal because it's a penalty. They should have given us a penalty and allowed the goal to stand. (laughs) Well, that's the interesting letter of the law, isn't it? And sent the West Ham player off. Triple punishment for West Ham. This is where it becomes interesting, though. If the lines are what they are and he's offside, there's not much you can do about that. But in terms of, well, if you're talking about is it a penalty or not, well, then the decision becomes very different because then it's, well, okay, we didn't give you the penalty because we played the advantage and you put the ball in the net. So there's almost three decisions that are wrong in one. And this is the thing. I I, I say this so often. It's like a broken bloody record. But you look at rugby and the protocols for these decisions. A, you can hear what the ref's saying to the guy on the video ref. And and he can say to him, is there any reason why I can't give this goal? Or is there any reason why I should give this? You know, I think it might be a goal. Give me a reason. There is, because I I support West Ham, so don't give it. Yeah, or they can say, (laughs) I think it's offside. But then the the video ref can then, in theory, they can overrule it and say, well, actually, I think you spotted something two phases of playback or whatever it may be. They could say, well, actually, do you know what? To be honest, it's offside, but actually you've missed the foul in the build-up. The fact that the build-up is essentially like a split second is immaterial if they're going to go for that level of detail. I can't believe it's got to the stage where we're going to discuss a system that just shouldn't be so... It's error. the uh, application it's in, of it. It's dreadful. It's absolutely dreadful. You know, and I've, uh, anyone who's listened to this long enough, we've, well, I've been advocate advocate of this type of technology for a long time. I cannot believe how badly implemented it is to yeah, the point where it's... I, I would happily see it removed. And the, and the thing about removing the technology is that that just that does open up to human error, which is acceptable because referees and officials are human. But I don't no, understand. No, Sorry. <laughs> when you give these officials a golden egg to help them and they fuck it up so bad, you know, without well, they've got the a technology, golden turd. No. without that t- technology, that is how bad they are. And, you know, we, we mm. spent three years in the championship standing oh. on the halt, just shaking our heads most of the time. <laughs> Going, what is this circus that we're watching? Yeah, you've you've given yes. them a hammer to bang an eel in, and they're still using their foreheads. Yeah, <laughs> that was the one thing that did reassure me watching Championship officiating that it would be impossible to match fix British football because yeah. they're so incompetent. <laughs> you well, couldn't do it. Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's step off. Uh, let's step off this. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, VAR application. Uh, just a couple of closing points quickly. Would you drop Trezeguet? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, yes. Yeah, I think you have to. You might get a reaction from him coming off the bench. Well, also because his head's bleeding. He's bleeding <laughs> out. Yeah, <laughs> probably. 
So, uh, yeah, probably give him a rest uh, as well. I mean, he, he, he was given the shirt. I mean, you know, we've just dropped, what, 17, 18 million on a bloody player that plays in his position. But Smith, because he played well, he was given the shirt. I mean, El- He's missed- yeah, El Ghazi was dropped after that Everton miss. He was barely seen again until this season. So, I mean, yeah. it, it, you have to do the same. I never, ever want to see him again, really. And I'll never forgive him for that miss. Second thing, uh, uh, Martinez doesn't have much to do. And this is, you know, it's what happened uh, the back end of uh, Project Restart. We we're, we we're not, and we were successful in this game as well. We're not allowing the opponents to have many shots on target, you know, sh- attempts at all. But on that first goal, do you think he, he he clears that out? He comes out and clears that out that cross. I mean, I we need to see the replay again. I think it's a possibility. But, it's 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 a, it's not a floated ball, is it? It, it is kind of curled in, but the the. The, the, it's kind of close to him. Yeah, it's it? close enough that actually, if he reads the ball quickly, I think he probably thinks one of his defenders is going to go and get it. Yeah. I think my only observation was he, he made a lot out of a very nothing bit of contact, and if if you're going to rely upon that to justify you not getting anywhere near the ball, I thought nah, there was nothing in that. Yeah. Although having said that, if they'd have var var checked it, it probably would have been disallowed. Yeah, because he's a big chap. I mean, he mm. could have. If he uh, comes and clears everyone out there, even if he punches, you know, he's yeah. done, he's done his job. Mm. We're just looking for people to blame here because we can't believe what's <laughs> happened. Yeah, <laughs> I'll blame anyone. Innocent, you're going down. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Give me a positive spin to uh, end on. At least there weren't headless chickens like there were against Brighton when it came to attacking. They did keep attacking coherently with intent. Yes. Right up until the final whistle, they didn't just all run stupidly about like they did against Brighton and leave themselves open because, like you said, West Ham didn't have another shot after that first minute of the second half. I, th- I think Louise was much better. I think actually our overall, strangely, as much as we complained about our defence, I would say that our our overall defensive shape was actually much better than we've seen against Southampton, Leeds, Brighton. Um, I think that's that's why it's so bloody frustrating that West Ham were never really in the game. Yeah. Dan? I think we can just rest easy knowing that if, if we do need to bring someone off the bench to, to deliver that, key crucial ball in the final minute then we can rely upon Ahmed El Mohamedi to fall on it and stumble <laughs> out of play <laughs> as he dusts off his clogs just compare and contrast Com- compare and contrast David Moyes right listen I'm going to make a Sylvia Ben Rama get on sets up a goal almost instantly Dean Smith go on Elmo you can rescue this. I mean, li- literally someone out of an Egyptian museum when we bring him on. It's like, oh dear. I love him, he's great. Um, but uh, it? looks a little rusty. Yeah. <laughs> Still mummified in the wing. Oh, I think the ref- uh, the commentator did say looks a bit rusty. <laughs> so oh, sleep easy and, uh, I mean, I don't know where, where 12 or 13 games de- defeats from now takes us, but I can't wait for the ride. <laughs> Right, before we go, I just want to uh, thank, as always, the My Omen Said patrons for making uh, this all possible. And thanks to everybody that joined us in uh, Match Club before, during and after the game. Thank you very much to uh, David Waldron and Daniel Cornell for uh, upgrading their pledges and also to Kieran Small for uh, taking advantage of the 15% off two months free for uh, an annual subscription. So thank you very much to them. If you want to help support and get access to Match Club and also uh, extra podcasts, there's a Q&A one uh, coming out uh, shortly. Please do go to myomensed.com and click on the patron link there. Right. 
Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us. And thank you very much for everybody listening. Uh, We're getting into the December period now, which uh, the games come thick and fast. Right, until next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Right, any closing remarks as we uh, disappear and uh, dust ourselves down and get ready for the arrival of Steve Bruce at Villa Park once again? Oh, that could be a snore fest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, mate, don't forget to subscribe to Sky TV. (laughs) Make sure you buy a day pass for that one or whatever. (laughs) Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.